The following sermon is by Dan Thomas, pastor and teacher at Community Church in Edwardsburg, Michigan. If you've never visited us at Community Church, we invite you to join us at 28647 US 12 West in Edwardsburg. And now, here is Pastor Dan Thomas. Father, may we see that today, how holy you are, or at least a glimpse of it in such a way that, I don't know, maybe we want to sing and we can't even just because we're overwhelmed with who you are. We want to know you better, God. Would you take this time, um, bring us into that knowledge of you, I pray in your name. Amen. You may be seated. I am excited. Acts 17 is one of my favorite texts to preach on. We are going to dig into that today, go, by, go through it verse by verse in just a couple minutes. Before we do that, though, I have to get to something on my system, just, uh, just a little griping, if you will. Uh, sorry about that. But uh, some of you know that our head elder, Dennis Hartzell, is a pilot. And uh, in the last couple of years, he's been flying for a company out of Grand Rapids. It's called Acrisure. Acrisure, some insurance conglomerate, I don't know what it is. But, uh, but anyway, Acrisure bought the naming rights for the place where the Steelers play. You do know that today, yes, is the kickoff of the kids' ministry and also of the team ministry and also the NFL season. Uh, and, uh, and anyway, the, the, this uh, Dennis has got a, got a call, I guess, at the end of the week that says, I need you to fly me to Pittsburgh for the game. Now, I'm not jealous, even in a little bit. Um, not at all. Okay, I guess I am jealous. Actually, Dennis is in a hangar in Pittsburgh, so I won't be too jealous of him. Uh, but uh, but we'll, we'll try to make it through there. This really is just an exciting text. I want to take just a couple minutes to explain why we're going here, what we're doing here this fall, in a series that we are calling Welcome to Bedrock, because we want to look at some of the main ideas as far as the foundational beliefs of Christianity, and yes, indeed, hopefully this church, since they are basic biblical foundational things, okay? So if you visit our website at, does anybody know the address of our website? Anyway, you can find it, edwardsburg.church. I think that's it, isn't it? Uh, okay, wherever that is, if you visit that and you Google down, you want to say, hey, what does this church believe? And you get to the Our Belief section, you will find a section about the Bible. You'll find a section about God, a section about what we believe about man, meaning mankind there, uh, what we believe about salvation, what we believe about the church, and what we believe about the second coming. Now, if you have been here the last couple of weeks, we were looking at Jesus' final discourse, and we looked at some about the second coming. So we've already covered some of that the last two weeks. Uh, here's the news about that. Jesus is coming back, guaranteed thing. Uh, secondly, he's not telling us when, but he is telling us that when things are getting more intense as far as a lot of the trials and tribulation of this world that we face, when they become more frequent and more intense, you know he's coming back, okay? You know that's speeding up. So we won't hit that again right now as far as second coming goes. I'm also going to make a couple of assumptions here at the beginning. And I know that these assumptions will not apply to everybody, but I'm going to somewhat assume that if you're here, you basically you want to hear the Bible taught, so you believe that the Bible is the Word of God. So I'm not going to go through, uh, if you want to say, the proof of that or the evidence of that uh, at this time. I am going to take a couple weeks, however, and talk just about the idea of what we know to be true, what we believe about God. Once again, I am going to start with an assumption there. And my assumption is that you all 
most of you all, and I know this wouldn't be true of everybody in a group this size, but most all of you have already believed that there is a God. Okay, you believe that God exists. So we're going to go into how, what God reveals about who he is. So we're going to take this week and look at Acts chapter 17, uh, which gives us a great look at, uh, hold on, let me back up here for a second. Uh, no, let me go forward again for a second. This is a great verse here. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. He was talking about this battle that we have. He said it's really not a physical battle. It's a lot more mental. It's a lot more uh, inside of us. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Okay, we are in a war. We're in a spiritual war, he says. That's, that's just the truth. That war primarily fought up here, if you will, in our minds and in our hearts. It is not as, as much a physical battle. And he says there are some strongholds the enemy wants to get. He wants to get a hold of our minds. So here's what we are to do. We are to destroy the arguments and every lofty opinion that raises that is raised against the knowledge of God. That's what we're going to try to do here. We're going to attack some of these things that go against the knowledge of God, some of the things that the devil wants to plant in your mind, some of the doubts about God. So we're going to dig into that, and we're going to take every thought captive to obey Christ or ask God to do that in our minds. So we want to get where we're winning the, the battle in our minds. That means that what we believe to be true of God is the foundation of that. What we believe to be true about God. A.W. Tozier said that the most important thought you ever have is the first thing that pops into your head when somebody mentions God. What do you believe to be true about God? Now, obviously, we cannot explore the vastness of that in a couple weeks, though that will continue to be throughout the sermon. Uh, but what we're going to do this week, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 17, where he tried to explain the fundamentals of who God is. And then next week, we're going to tackle what is oftentimes the biggest question that people have, very simply, we're going to go into the idea of if there is a God, why did this happen? If there is a good God, why did this happen? So we're going to talk about the goodness of God and explore that next week. But we want to lay this foundation first. So we're going to read through Acts chapter 17, picking up in verse number 16. Uh, if you did pick up a little note sheet and you're going to take some notes, the, the outline that we have, we're going to fill in uh, at the end, but you have plenty of room on there to take down any notes you want in the meantime. But we're going to take our time and go through this passage and just look at what happens here. Um, as part of Paul's journeys where he's spreading the gospel uh, throughout the known world at that time. Now, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, okay, middle of the story, Paul has been on this missionary journey. Uh, he had ministered in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, and now he is down in Athens, but he's gone ahead of his traveling companions, uh, who you might know as Silas and, and uh, Luke there with him. And as Paul was ministering down there in Athens, uh, waiting for them, his spirit was provoked in him when he saw the city was full of idols. So there he is in Athens. I don't know if any of you have had the privilege of going to Athens and seeing what they have there as far as the old temples and the ruins of those and everything like that. But this was a city that was steeped in religion. Okay, they had a temple to every god that they could dream up, literally, uh, and they did dream them up, and they had those there. When Paul saw this, he looked at the idolatry, and it just it just stirred up his heart. I, I don't know if the word here really means angry as much as distressed. He was so distressed. We started uh, the service today by singing, I searched the world, but I couldn't find. And uh, that is what happens when... 
You, you could, I guess, say it somewhat like this, that there is a God-shaped hole in each of our lives. The Bible says we have that in us. And if God is not there in there, if we've decided to go a different route, we're trying to fill it with something else. Well, Paul looked at Athens and he said, man, they're trying to fill their lives with all these false gods with all this idolatry. Now, we might not do that with statues, and we might not do that with false temples and false gods, but we have a tendency to do that uh, still today. So he reasoned. He sat down. The, the Greek word there is dialogued. He, he talked to them uh, in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So Paul was talking to them in the temple and in the marketplace, okay, basically wherever people are. The marketplace, that's in everyday life. In the temple, yes, uh, where you might expect it more. Uh, so Paul is reasoning with them, and he, he's talking to them. Well, what is, we'll see what he says in a minute here. Some of these people were Epicurean and Stoic philosophers who conversed with him. The Epicureans were known for the idea of, I used to say their theme was P-A-R-T-Y, party, party till we die. Uh, they were definitely into pleasure, but probably not even as much just the hedonistic idea of doing whatever they wanted, they, but they were into finding the good life. Whatever it is that makes me happy, whatever, you know, I'm looking for peace, I'm looking for the good life here on this earth, I want to find this in whatever brings that to me, I'm going to try to find that. The Stoics were more bent on duty, they were divine. Out. Uh, and definitely, we don't, don't we see people filling up their lives with that today? I mean, you see some people that are just like, you know, they're kind of proud uh, that, they, you know, they are in self-control and they do the right thing all the time. And we have other people that are just, hey, <laughs> uh, I, I just want to be happy. That's more than anything. We definitely continue to see this. But as they listened to Paul, they said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seemed to be preaching for, about foreign gods, foreign divinities. Because he was preaching Jesus, and what was he preaching there? The resurrection. Okay, now we're going to come back to that for a minute, but I cannot overemphasize, so we'll emphasize it twice. We've said this before. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining miracle of Christianity. If anybody ever says to you every religion is the same, no, they're not, and this is the difference. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. That is the difference. And by the way, that was the statement that <laughs> kind of got them ticked. They didn't like hearing about the resurrection. If Jesus, and the Apostle Paul wrote this very plainly, if Jesus has stayed dead, our faith, our religion is in vain. We're wasting our time. Everything hinges on the fact that Jesus was victorious over death and sin. Everything hinges on that, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Paul made sure that he's telling them that Jesus is risen. Okay, and they took him and they brought him to the Areopagus. Uh, the Areopagus is uh, the hill of the uh, Greek god of war, whose name was Ares. I'm sure you're all up on all your Greek and Roman gods. Uh, but uh, the Ares was the god of war. I used to watch those old Hercules with Kevin Sorbo, but anyway, we won't get into that. Uh, but Ares was the god of war, and, uh, and this was his, his hill or his, his place there. Now, the Roman god of war was not Ares, but they called him, anybody know? Mars, you're all over. Way to go. You get something. Uh, but uh, I don't know what, but give her something afterwards. Uh, but Mars, so this is also called Mars Hill. And you may have heard of that, Paul's sermon on Mars Hill. In fact, sometimes churches has, have adopted that name. We're to call our church Mars Hill, I guess, because that's where the gospel is proclaimed, I guess, is why they decide to do that. That is not the name of this church. But, okay, where was I? Areopagus saying, okay, we want to know what this new teaching is. Okay, so they're interested in what he has to say. 
For you bring some strange things to our ears, Paul. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling and hearing something new. We'll come back to this for a second. But they loved to sit around in the marketplace and, well, I think, you know, this was the hometown that had been of Plato and Aristotle and Socrates and those boys, and they had their philosophies, and they loved to share them and expound on everything that they knew. So they were willing to listen. Now, we don't uh, have any formats today where we uh, like to share our thoughts with everybody and read what everybody else has to say, do we? Everybody's on their phone all the time. Uh, We're constantly, social media has taken that over, and this is where we're doing this today. So, does anybody know where I was? Now, all the Athenians, no, we said that. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, here he is, he stands up and here's what he says, men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Now, I don't know if Paul was doing a little bit of, uh, you know, I'm going to say something nice. Hey, y'all look nice today. Now, let me lambast you. Uh, But uh, he says, seem to be religious. We're going to get back into that idea uh, in a minute. For I've passed along and I've observed your objects of worship. I've seen all this stuff. I found also that you have an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. Now, I always, as I read that before, and I think even as I taught it before, I assumed that they set up this statue to, uh, I'm sorry, this altar to cover like any gods they might have missed. And that, that is partly true, but there's an interesting story behind that. They had had in the history there, they had had a time when there was a, a disease, when there was a plague spreading. And, of course, in their thinking, one of the gods must be mad at us, but we don't know which one. Okay, again, that's the way their their minds work. So what they did is they released a bunch of sheep, and wherever the sheep would lie down, whatever altar was the closest, whatever temple was the closest, they would take and sacrifice the sheep there to appease that God. But many of the sheep lied down in a place that was nowhere near a temple. So there was actually a multitude of these altars that they had to an unknown God. This was just one of them, that they had a bunch of these because wherever they'd find the sheep, uh, you say, well, wait a minute, we don't have a temple around here. Well, we don't know what God this is about, but we're going to go sacrifice there too. So they were trying to appease him there. So he says, you have this temple. He says, here's here's what's going to happen. What therefore you worship as unknown, I'm going to proclaim it to you, okay? I am going to tell you the truth about this God. And then he starts and he says this, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temple made with hands. So he begins with a crucial truth. He basically says that God is creator. Okay, and this is crucial. There was a movie, I don't know how old it was now, Jim Carrey was in it. And uh, it was called The Truman Show. I don't know if anybody remembers that. Uh, this, they had this whole reality TV. They had like he had a make-believe life. Uh, in other words, they took this baby and they put his whole sh- life on TV through everything like that. And in the end, the cl- uh, climactic scene at the end, uh, he's actually trying to escape this world. And he comes to the end of it, and uh, yeah, Jim Carrey's a grown man now, and he's grown up in this world, and Truman meets the end of it, and he's, he's so totally confused because he's lived in this little bubble. He's lived here all the time. And when he crashes in there, you hear this voice come from above. He crashes into the end of their set, uh, which was painted to look like the, uh, the open sea. And uh, when, he, when he does that, you hear this voice uh, from up above that says, uh, you know, where are you going? What are you doing, Truman? And Truman says this. He says, who are you? And who am I? 
Those are his first two questions. Basically, we got to try to figure this out. And it is so important that we establish who God is. Number one, God is creator. He has created me. I belong to him. And, and I, I want to jump up and down about this because if our world has been told constantly that there is no, we, we have a weird thing. Because, and I'm not trying to be mean. I'm just trying to talk to you here for a second. But we have a weird thing in churches today because we have a lot of people who sing about how great God is and, and they completely believe that man wasn't created by God. He, was, he evolved from some type of a, amoeba. And those two thoughts are incongruent. Does that mean they don't go together? Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> he looked confused. So do I. Uh, but but they, they are. They don't fit. So I have to jump up and down, first of all, on the very first point that Paul made and said, God is creator. Okay. And I've said this before. You can, if you decide uh, you want to, believe that God is not creator. You can, if you want to even tell yourself there is no God, if you want to say that. But scientifically and in every way, folks, Something has to have always existed. Something does. You want to believe everything evolved from, you know, an explosion in a pond somewhere or lightning hitting a pond? You can believe that, but where'd the pond come from? Where'd the lightning come from? Oh, but pastor, if that is true, where did God come from? Very simply, God has always existed. That is the answer. Because sometimes people are like, pastor, we got you on this one. Who created God? No one. That's the answer. God was not created. He is creator. Now, this idea continues throughout this because he says uh, he is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not live in temple made by hands. goes on and he says, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything because he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. Let me start there for a second. He gives us life. Science, would you explain to me why I'm alive? Well, because your heart's beating. Why is my heart beating? Well, because your brain sends impulses. Why does my brain send impulses? What is life? What is the source of life? God says it right here. It is God. He is that source of life, very, very plainly. But let's go back. He doesn't need anything. He's not served by human hands. He is completely self-sufficient. He made from one man every nation, mankind, to live all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places, and that they should seek him and perhaps feel their way towards him. Yet he is not far from any one of them. And then he quotes some of the prophets of that time. In him we live and move and have our being. And even some of the poets have said, for we indeed are his offspring. Um, I don't... Uh, you know, I've mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm not really big into the whole idea of, hey, let's sit and watch a movie at church and take some lessons from it. However, I have no problem with using a, a movie as an illustration or a song as an illustration or something like that uh, that is common to the culture because, first of all, a lot of times in the culture, they get something right. Uh, and secondly, I see that Paul did this here. He's quoting from some of their writers. You understand that this is the one from whom we have our being. He, indeed, is the creator of all. He is the one who uh, is eternal. He is the one who needs nothing. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, any image formed by the arts and the imagination of man. Folks, <laughs> I wish if there was one thing I could scream to the world today, God is not formed by the imagination of man. If, I, if there's one thing that I could scream to the church today, God is not formed by the imagination of man. Now, here's what I'm saying. The phrase that I hear so often, I like to think of God as, and I don't mean to be mean. I really don't. I'm not trying to, you know, 
don't take, don't bring that garbage in here. I, I, I'm trying to be as kind as I can when I say this, but it is incredibly irrelevant how you like to think of God as far as who he is. God defines himself. He doesn't need man. He's not made with human hands. He's not my, the imagination of man. And we get this idea in our head all the time. Well, I don't, that's not how, the God that I want to worship. That's not how I like to think of God. I mean, we get that all the time. And I, I don't mean to, I mean, I, I hear that all the time. I'll have people come and ask me a question. Pastor, you believe so-and-so. I think I told you about this. One lady, she said, you believe so-and-so uh, is now an angel. Uh, my, my daughter is now an angel in heaven. I said, well, no. I said, that's not what the Bible says. Uh, you should be in heaven, but we don't become angels. That's not something the Bible says. Oh, no, she's an angel because <laughs> that's how I want to believe it. Uh, and, you know, that, that's, you know, I'm not mad at the lady or anything like that. If that helps her get through the day, in fact, I'm okay with that. But at the same time, it's, it's just we have some ideas in our head, and as long as God fits those ideas, we're good with God. As long as we just keep singing the things we want to sing and everything like that. But when we sing something like, well, the God of the mountain is the God of the valley, I don't really want the valleys. Just give me the God of the mountain. Uh, you know, we need to get the whole picture as far as that goes. We don't get to form God the way we want him. Now, we'll get to that some more in a second here. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands people everywhere to do what? Repent. Come on, Paul. This is your first sermon to these people. You got to go gradually into things. You don't want to be You don't want to be out there, you know, with all these harsh words. <laughs> uh, I was, uh, I was actually driving a, a bus trip this week. We were up somewhere by Otsego, Otsego, Michigan. Yeah, I was taking the junior high football team up there. And you go past this giant yard sign that says, today is the day to repent. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, uh, like that. I thought, I don't know if their neighbors appreciate them. Uh, and I thought, yeah, it's a little bold. But that's exactly what Paul did here. He said, hey, my first message, one of the things I got to tell you is this. Come back to that idea in a minute also because he has fixed a day on which the judge of the whole world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. I'm sorry, he will judge the whole world in righteousness, judge in righteousness. And then he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. He came back around to that idea of the resurrection. Now, let's, let's, let's review some of the ideas in here. One of the things we see, and we will talk more about mankind in a couple of weeks here, but there's things that stand out here that we see man was like that then and he is like that now. Mankind continues to appear religious, okay? If you look around, there are still many different, if you want to say, religions of every kind, okay? Mankind is still trying to, and I believe, and this, this is not, thus saith the Lord, so you can disagree with me on this one, but I, I do think that there's nothing that drives more people away from God than religion, or nothing leads people away. You say, what are you talking about here? Religion is everything that man is trying to do to appease God and make, him, make himself presentable to God. And a lot of times people get wrapped up in their religion and they've substituted that for forgiveness found only in Jesus Christ in a relationship with him. People all the time, I'm going to church. Oh, yeah, you need to go to church. Uh, you know, that, that type of thing. And we think somehow that if I'm practicing religious things and everything like that, then that's good. You know, I'm keeping God at bay. I'm doing the religious stuff, if, if you will. And they were full of religion. They had a God for everything, literally. They, they had him everywhere. Uh, we still like to sometimes appear religious. A second thing is, you know, talked about the Epicureans chasing the good life. Obviously, 
That's what we think it's all about is having life as good as we can. Now, I am a firm believer. Life is good. I don't have that T-shirt, but I could get it. Uh, I believe it. I enjoy a lot of things about my life. I do think eternal life is better. There's a lot of things. I, I mentioned this, when I look at this world and I, I realize that it has the curse of sin upon it and there's so many bad things, and yet I still see such beauty in it and, it, and everything that's there, I get overwhelmed by the fact of think of what things will be like when the curse of sin is not here anymore. Think how about how incredible God creates things and makes things that have not been impacted by sin. And I like that. But people today most definitely are still changing the good life. And I mentioned before, we're still going to be news junkies. Okay. Now we have substituted it. We're not hanging around the market to share our thoughts all the time, but we are getting online to share our thoughts all the time. Whatever your, your social media format is, unless you have sworn of it, uh, you have, uh, you are somewhere getting on there and you're hearing what everybody thinks about everything. And they have these things that I don't understand called algorithms, uh, that somehow they could take the things that you Google the most and give you more to feed that and feed, feed your mindset like that over and over again. And here we are, you know, a lot of times just sharing our ignorance and getting together and, and everybody of every age is pouring in there and uh, everybody wants to tell you what they think about everything as though it's important. Uh, whoever thought there would be such an occupation as an influencer? <laughs> what are you? I'm a social media influencer. I just get online and tell people what I think. <laughs> and there you go. And I make millions of dollars and probably got to go to a football game today. Anyway, uh, but I'm not jealous. Okay, now, anyway, the... Uh, uh, so there's a lot of things in the story we see continue to be true of man. But I also want you to see what, what Paul is reminding us for sure that we know about God. Number one, he wants to ground us in the fact that God is creator. Okay? Very simply, God is not created. God is creator. We are all descendants of Adam through Noah, we are all part of the same race, the human race. God is creator, okay? Secondly, Paul reminds them very plainly that God is the righteous judge. To put it like this, we will all stand before the one who died for us. We will all stand before God and die for us. He is the righteous judge. Paul wanted you to know that. This is coming. This is a thought that is very prevalent throughout Scripture uh, from the beginning until most definitely the end where Jesus talks about that at the end of Revelation. We will all stand before the righteous judge. You will answer to God. Okay? It's going to happen. And thirdly, like I said, we want to emphasize that Christ is risen. The Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, and he said this. I mentioned before he talked about the fact that if, if Christ isn't risen, we're kind of wasting our time. But he has a phrase in there that I just love. He, he says, but now is Christ risen from the dead. I just love that. But then he goes on and he says, and because he is risen, we too shall rise. And so much of everything comes back to this. So Paul wanted you to make sure that he knew this is the God who is the creator. You don't get to say who he is. He tells you who he is. This is the God who is the righteous judge. Whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, we are all going to stand before this righteous judge. 
You can like it or you can lump it, uh, but it's, but it's going to be there. And then that Christ is risen, that he has won the victory. Um, that idea that we sang about that we're fighting a battle that he's already won is uh, somewhat beyond our comprehension. I have a hard time uh, even wrapping my mind around that idea because, yes, we are fighting this battle, but in the grand scheme of things, in a God who is perfectly holy and outside of time, that battle has already been won. That victory is already ours because Christ is risen. And, and, and again, all religions are the same. No, they're not. Here's the difference right here. Here's the difference. Christ is risen. Now, then he goes on and he makes that one statement there at the end there that God demands repentance. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to add this little aspect to your life. I want you to add a little faith. I want you to add a little Jesus in there. What he says is you're to turn from your sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. It's kind of interesting if you read on through the text in Acts chapter 17, there is not an amazing response there in Athens. It lists two people that trust the Lord, a lady named Damaris, and I just forgot the other guy's name. Uh, but they, uh, but uh, there, there's not an overwhelming response, but that didn't really matter. Paul just flat out preached what God told him to preach. See, I, I'm kind of preaching myself for a second here because I need to remember that. Okay. See, if I'm emphasizing repentance, some people are going to be like, well, that's not really what I want to hear at church. Uh, I don't like that stuff. Uh, give me, give me some. But see, my job is not in any way to try to make sure that everybody likes what I say. My job is to be as true as I can to scripture. And I have to try to do that. So God says in this uh, sermon that he had Paul preach here, God, he demands repentance. This way he demands. Now, um, I want to close with a story that will not only wrap up where we're going here, but it'll set the stage for next week. Uh, one Sunday morning, I don't know how many years ago it was now, I'm going to say 15 or 20 or something like that, we had a friend that uh, gave us a call and said, hey, um, I have some tickets to a concert tonight, and I'm sick, I can't go. She had got tickets, okay, was, test your age out here, your Christian age, Stephen Curtis Chapman. Okay, SC squared. Okay, now he only plays down at the Peddler's Village down there. Uh, but, uh, but, but he was big time back in the, in the day. And we, our kids and I, we, we were like Stephen Curtis Chapman. So she said, well, hey, we got some tickets. Uh, he's doing a concert over in Maryville. I can't go. Do you want to use them? And it was football season. So I said, no, but my wife said yes. And we went. Uh, and uh, we, we went over to, uh, so, so we headed over there to Maryville. And we, and we get into the, uh, to the concert there. And, and Stephen Curtis Chapman gets, gets up there. And uh, I don't know if any of you remember this. Back, what would it have been, the 90s, I guess, everybody who got married, they danced to their, with their father to either uh, Butterfly Kisses, remember that one? Or the song that Stephen Curtis Chapman had called I Dance with Cinderella. Does anybody remember that song? I Dance with Cinderella. Okay, we won't do it. Uh, but, uh, but he had written that about his little girl that he had adopted. He had adopted a couple of little girls. Well, this concert that we went to was the first one that he had done in two years because there was a, a situation. He, of course, had already written this song about dancing with his daughter. It, it's a beautiful little song about, you know, his daughter wants to dance and he has other things to do, but then he realized, I want to dance with her now while she's there and make it cry at a wedding and everything. It's a beautiful thing. But, uh, but uh, what had happened is that little girl was out playing in the driveway one day and Stephen Curtis Chapman's teenage son had come home, pulled in the driveway and not seen her and ran her over and killed her. And uh, so as Stephen Curtis Chapman got up, he said, I haven't been touring. I haven't been writing. He said, 
I'll be honest with you, I've been examining my faith, and sometimes I've wondered if all the things I've been writing about and, and everything, if I even believe them anymore, it really challenged his faith. Unbelievable. And then he went on and he sang, I Dance with Cinderella, but he had an extra verse in there where he said, God makes me cry thinking about it, where he said, uh, someday I will dance with Cinderella again. And, you know, I was like, eh. uh, but after he, after he finished that song, he sang another song that he had just written. And I don't remember all the lyrics. I didn't look them up for today. I just, because I'll always re remember the opening line or the main line of the chorus. And it is very simply this, God is God and I am not. And, you know, obviously with what happened in his life, he wrestled through it for a long time. And his conclusion was, God is God and, and, I'm, and I'm not. And if I had to summarize what we need to start with as far as our belief is, I think that summarizes it perfectly. Uh, really profound, isn't it? What did pastor preach on today? God is God. Listen, uh, when Moses said, who shall I say sent me when he got the Ten Commandments, here, how did God define him or give his name? He said, I am that I am. He didn't say, I am uh, whatever you want me to be. He said, I am that I am. God is who God is, and he is God. And that has to be the foundation of our belief in God. Bottom line is, who is he? He's God. <laughs> you remember anybody else have a mom? Who do you think you are, God? Who died and made you God? Yeah, that type of thing. Why? Because that God is large and in charge. He, he, he is over everything. And if I was acting like that, she would give that statement. But basically, God is God, and I am not. Wow. Wow. That, that is just overwhelming there. But that's where we come. Now, understand this. This God that is in charge, this God who is God, the scripture says it very plainly, so loved this world that he gave his only son. And he said, whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. This God that will stand before one day is the one who loved us so much, loved this world, the people in this world, so much that he sent his son to die on the cross. And as I mentioned, we'll explore that a little bit more. He said, well, I, I just, pastor, <laughs> you know, different things, you know, come up online. I listen to Joe Rogan the number one podcast in, the, in America, Joe, Joe Rogan. And basically the little headline underneath the, the ad for him said, can't believe in a God who, because there's so much bad in the world. This is, this is a big struggle with that. The foundation of our belief is what Paul says here. God is God. God is God. He is the creator. He is not formed with human hands. We don't get to say what he is like. You're going to stand before him someday. You're going to answer to, to whether or not you have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins. He demands that everyone, he calls everyone to repentance. That's a turning. That's saying, I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm not going to trust in my religion. I'm not going to trust in being good enough. I'm going to say, God, I need forgiveness. I'm going to repent of my sin. God, I need forgiveness. And I trust that Jesus Christ paid the price for my sin. I want to trust in him. I've placed my faith and my trust in him. That's where that begins. We're going to, I'm going to ask uh, the team to come back up. That song, uh, as you, as you played it more, I did recognize it, but I don't think we've sung it around here before. That last song talks about God's holiness. And I thought that would be a good thing for us just to leave on. I, I wanted to mention this. Probably when you hear that word, holy, 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 that we will sing holy, holy, holy someday, we think of holy as, oh, somebody who's holy. You know, we think of pious or something like that. 
You, you may know this, but the word holy actually has to do with the idea of being separate. And God's holiness is the fact that he is separate from his creation. Now, is he personal? Yes. The Bible says that God is not far from each one of us, and he has reached into our mess and reached into our lives and said, I will be close to you. But God in his very nature is outside of this mess that we're in, if you will, outside of time, everything like that. He's perfectly holy. He sees everything that we don't see. He knows everything that we don't know. He has a perfect, complete knowledge that we can trust, that he will do, that he will do what is right. And again, we're setting the stage and moving just a little bit into next week, but I thought it'd be great if we close by worshiping him in his holiness. So let's stand. First of uh, seven sermons that I'm asking everybody in the church to make sure they listen to. So if you're not in here now listening, please make sure you listen. You know what I mean. I'll say that again next week. Go back, go back, go back and listen. But I, I just want to cl- close with one other thought here. The Apostle Paul was willing to sit and talk to folks if they had uh, things. He was willing to dialogue with them. So am I. Not that I'm like the Apostle Paul in a lot of ways, but I am in that way. And if there's anything that raised a question or anything like that, I would be glad to get together and say, well, wait a minute, I don't understand what you said there, or I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure I agree with you. That's, that's fine. I would be glad to. We have some other folks around here that would be glad to. I want to mention that. I'm going to do my best to, you know, be the old pastor thing, shake some hands as you're leaving. But if you want to talk sometime, I'd love to get together with you and talk about those things. Father, um, all creation cries, you are holy. Um, (laughs) Again, (laughs) would you take a thought that I am trying to communicate today and go way beyond my poor power to do that? Will your spirit minister truth into our hearts about who you are, I pray in your name. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Dan Thomas of Community Church in Edwardsburg. For more information about the church, you can visit our website, edwardsburg.church. You may also contact the church via email, info at edwardsburg.church, or call us at 269-663-2648. Thank you for listening.